0: If you have your Bibles, um, I know it looked like we finished Isaiah last week. We did, but I want to go back to a few verses in chapter 66. So you can open up to Isaiah uh, 66. Uh, verses 18 through 21, and, and and if you've been in a church that preaches the word, um, even just for a short period of time, my guess is you've heard of the Great Commission in, in Matthew 28. There, Go therefore, make disciples uh, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And we call it The Great Commission, because there our Lord Jesus gave all of his followers uh, our marching orders. He gave us our mission. He commissioned us to go and and tell the world about him, to baptize, to teach everything that he's commanded. Um, And and it's rightfully so called the Great Commission. But it's not like it's the first time in Scripture that we have heard uh, about God telling his people to go to the nations, telling them that they're to be a light to the nations. Um, throughout the Old Testament, we, we've seen that God uh, told His people, "You're to go. You're to represent Me to the nations. The nations are going to know from you uh, about My greatness. They're going to hear about My great name." And we've seen in Isaiah though that man they failed like, over and over and over again. So Isaiah sixty six eighteen through 21, uh, some have called this the great commission of the Old Testament. Um, and I want you to see three things in it today, uh, that God will gather the nations to himself, that God will send his people to declare his glory, and that God will be glorified. So let's jump into verse 18. Says, For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and shall see my glory, and I will set a sign. Among them, and we've read in many different times and in different ways throughout Isaiah about the nations. I think the nations are mentioned 79 times in these 66 chapters. So God's desire for the nations to come uh, to Him—it's pretty hard to miss as you go through the whole book of Isaiah. One of my favorite pictures is uh, when, when God describes the the, the highway that, that, that there will be for for the people to stream to him from the nations that people will come in droves to God. And in verse 18, he says, "They'll, they'll come and they shall see my glory. So God is gathering people from every tribe, from every tongue to himself. Why? It's to glorify himself. He's gathering worshipers of him. The nations will come and see his glory. Continuing on in verse 19, it says, and from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pole, Lud, who draw the bow, to Tubal, to Javan, to the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. They shall declare my glory among the nations. God says that he'll send those, he'll send his people to those who have not heard about God, right? people that have no idea of the greatness of God. They've never heard of Yahweh, this remnant of his people that he saves. They'll be sent. They'll declare his glory wherever it is that God has them go, that Yahweh is the God who saves. He's the only God. There's no one like him. And and the prophet has pointed out to us over and over again in Isaiah, just the uniqueness of, Of God, right? How many times do we hear? There's no one like Yahweh. There's none like God. And why is this so important? Well, you could have something that's of high quality, um, that 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 looks nice, that is uh, that's um, it's good. But if there's a ton of them, it's not all that valuable. Right. Uh, if there's fewer of of that, it increases its value. Like, um, like, like, if there's some rare jewel. Obviously, I'm not into jewels which would be really funny if I was. Um, if there's some rare jewel, there's like a thousand of them in the whole world, right? That's going to be worth more than, than a dime. I don't know how many diamonds there are, but billions, trillions, whatever the number is. But, but if there was only one uh, of this one jewel, there, there's no other jewel like it Well, its value would be immeasurable. And Isaiah has compared over and over again, God to the, them are like the living God, Yahweh. Right? His, his worth has no comparison. We've seen that he's the God who is in control of all of human history, that he's the creator of all things, that he moves kings and, and kingdoms where he wants them. Nations rise and fall uh, based on what he desires. And we've come to see his work to shape his own people, that he, he's the only one who's, who's worked in the past to say what he would do in the future and then actually do it. He's shown that no one has the power to save but him. And and he has a history of saving people who do not honor him. He's promised that he will save, not just from circumstances, right? Not just from from the exiles we've read about, but no, he'll save their souls for eternity. He's bringing rebels to him and, and they will be his people and he will be their God. And all of this is so that God will be glorified, right? This is the goal. This is the goal. As God is gathering worshipers to himself, this is the goal, that God will be glorified. And this ought to be the goal of his people, that the nations will see God's glory, that everyone will come to understand how glorious our God is. Verse 20, And they shall bring, uh, they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and dromedaries I don't know about you, but every time I get to Isaiah 66, I'm like, "What is a it dromedary again? Because I don't use that word much. So I always imagine that it's like some ancient Near East farming tool, like a card or something. It turns out it's a camel with one hump. So hopefully we'll remember that next time. So on mules, on dromedaries, to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord. Just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel uh, to the house of the Lord, and some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites says the Lord, right? And we notice in just these few verses, uh, how God speaks here, right? He says, I will send, they shall come, they shall bring, I will take, they shall see, right? You and I make plans. Uh, and, and many of our plans that we make, we have a very reasonable chance at, uh, at accomplishing those. Um, assuming nothing like earth shattering, unpredictable happens. Uh, but we can never really say, like 100% guarantee that, that I can do, I'll be able to do this thing that I'm planning on. Because there are circumstances that are always out of our control, way, way more than we would like to admit. But when God makes plans, we can consider it done. He will do what he has decided. So God will gather the nations to himself. So let me just help us see a little bit, like globally, what God has been doing, um, even uh, in, in the not so distant past. So in 1949, uh, when China became a uh, communist country, there were approximately 750,000 followers Christ, right? Huge country. Not not that many people that were following Jesus today. Seventy years or so later, there are eighty-five million followers of Jesus in China, and and that number just keeps growing. Uh, It's only though about six percent of the country. Obviously, China is huge—tons and tons of people. But in comparison to the United States, um, numbers show that we have about. 85 million Christians. And I would argue, of the people that are saying they're Christians, that number is actually probably a decent amount lower of people that claim Christ but really have nothing to do with him. So God is, is moving in China. We hear tons about the, the, uh, the, the church in China. Um, Africa, in 1900, there were about 10 million believers in Africa, roughly 10% of, of the population. By 2000, there were 360 million about about, half, uh, about 50% of the population. And missiologists uh, think that this is probably the largest shift in religious affiliation in all of history. Uh, in Nigeria, there are 17 million baptized members of the Anglican Church. In the U.S., there's 2.8 million members in the Anglican Church. Kenya has more people in Christian churches on Sundays than all of Canada. Um... Uh, Islam. So, Islam began in the seventh uh, century, and and missiologists um, they're trying to track right these these growth uh, growth of the the gospel spreading, growth of, of of believers coming to Christ. Churches being planted. So, they have what they call um, a, a movement, which they they identify it as uh, a thousand people um, being baptized into into Jesus. Um, or uh, 100 churches planted in a region over like 20 years. So Islam begins in the 7th century, and there wasn't a movement, a measurable movement of Muslims to Christ until the 19th century, right? There's, there's one. And then in the 20th century, there were 11 distinct movements. From the year 2000 to 2018, there have been 75 distinct movements. Like God is, is he's, he's moving, Right? He's drawing the nations to himself. I want to tell you a quick story that I heard when I was down with Frontiers just a couple weeks ago. Uh, There's a, a, a man in India. He was an Indian man. He uh, wanted to go to the U.S. for schooling so that he could become a doctor, so that he could use that um, to, to share the gospel. So he goes, gets trained over here, uh, goes back. Um, and he's working, and, he, and he's, he's working uh, not only at planting churches himself, but he's raising up church planters. Um, he, he's got a friend back in the States that he made uh, when he was in medical school who's a dentist. He's like, hey, uh, whatever the guy's name is, uh, he said, hey, can you come? I've got this church planter, and I think if we could just give him some basic dental skills, if you could train him up to be a dentist, I think that could really help in, in the spread of the gospel here among these, these people. He's like, well, I, I was trained for seven years. Like, how long do you want me to come over for? He's like, how long can you come? He's like, I got two weeks. I could be in country two weeks. Like, all right, let's do it. So he trains him in obviously very like rudimentary dental stuff, right? He's, he's probably extracting teeth, doing cleanings, maybe fillings. I don't know. So he trains this guy and, and, and they've got, uh, this guy has a, a solar power, a portable solar power dental chair that he can throw on the back of a dirt bike, okay? Crazy, what a picture that must be. So he, he gets his solar power dental chair, and, and he hops on his dirt bike, and he drives to a village. And, and, and he, he sets up shop, and, and he starts working on people's teeth. And, and as he's working on their teeth, he asks, hey, would you like to hear a, a story about Esau, right? Esau is the, the Muslim word for, for Jesus. So would you like you to hear a story about Jesus? And if they say yes, he tells them a story. From the Gospels. And, and if they say no, then, then he doesn't. But, but, but if they say yes, and he tells them this story, and, and if they seem like maybe they're interested, he's like, Do you want to hear another story about Isa? Right? And if they say yes, he tells it. And, and then afterwards, he goes, You know what? I'm actually knocking off work early today. If you want to come back and hear more stories about Isa, I would love to tell you about him. And, and, and if they come back and they seem like God's maybe stirring in their hearts, and say, Hey, actually, tomorrow I'm starting work late why don't you come and I'll tell you more stories about Isa, but, but not just you, bring your family, bring your, bring your friends. And then, and then if they would come, he'd tell them and eventually he'd start, he'd start uh, studying the Bible with them. And then eventually there'd be people that come to Christ and they get a church started, and he'd help, he'd help raise up this, this little fledgling church. He'd get them connected with the, the nearest local church that could support them. And then once once he felt like they are in good hands, then he'd move on with his solar-powered solar portable dentist chair on his dirt bike and, and start over in, in the next village. Like God is, is on the move, and, and we can talk. I can tell stories after story, right? We can talk about numbers. We can talk about movements. But the point is that God is at work. I think it's easy for us, it's easy for me in the States to look around at the landscape of of Christianity in our nation and be pretty discouraged. Uh, The numbers of... People going to churches in America, it's, it's been on the decline for decades now. And even just the, the general acceptance that there once was of a basic Christian worldview, even among nonbelievers, uh, that has eroded. So it's, it's easy for us to, to get kind of tunnel vision and only see what's going on in, in Camas or, or Washington or the West Coast or, or even the, the, our whole country and, and miss the global picture but God's people need to be global people because clearly our God is a global God with global concern. He's always been at work and he's working right now. And while there is much great work going on, we realize that the work is not yet finished. So we also see that, that God will send his people to declare his glory um, in, in our passage today. But let's also go to Romans 10, 14 and 15. Maybe this is familiar to you. Paul says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom, of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they're sent as it is written? And he quotes this from Isaiah. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So just kind of basic observations here. Right? He says people can't call on God unless they've believed in him. And he says, people can't believe if they haven't heard, if they haven't heard the good news. And, and then he says, people won't hear unless someone tells them, right? Like someone's got to share it. Someone's got to preach the gospel. And he says, no one will tell them unless someone is sent. Right? God, God has always been about sending his people. And we shouldn't be surprised because we see that, that the son was sent that Jesus came Himself. So we we are a people that are to be sent, and and for some that might mean going across the globe. For some, it might be just being sent across the street, or or maybe maybe down the hall to the unbelieving uh, member of your family to tell them. But but we are a sent people. I, I want to show you a, a video um, that will help us kind of better understand the the global need uh, right now for for sending and and for reaching uh, the unreached.
1: In the beginning, God created everything. He created a world full of people to know him and to be known by him. This is the story of the Bible, God bringing people to Himself. And when we read the Bible, we see how God went to great lengths to do this, and how much God cares about people knowing Him. You most likely already know this. And you probably live somewhere where people have a general understanding of this great love story between God and humanity. And if they don't know yet, there's probably somebody in town who can tell them. But did you also know that there are three billion people who will live and die without ever hearing this story? Not because they don't care, but because they don't have a choice. Nobody ever told them that once upon a time, God became a human just like them, so that he could teach them how to know their creator. Forty percent of the world doesn't know this, and they won't know this. Not unless something changes. Not unless someone goes to tell them. Jesus is our wonderful example. He left his natural home to come to us, and then he tells us to do the same thing. Because we love Jesus and care about the same things that He cares about, we care about this, that the whole world would know Him, that every tongue, tribe, and people group would come and be able to worship Him. So the question is, are we doing this? Going out into the world to bring the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation? Well, kind of. While churches do send people out, almost half the world still doesn't have any access to the gospel. But how is this possible? Aren't there people being sent? Well, yeah, there are about 400,000 people serving across the world today, but only 3% of them are actually going to the 40% who have never heard about Jesus. The other 97%, they're going to places that have already heard about Jesus. There's an imbalance. That imbalance leaves only one person for each 250,000 people who have never heard about Jesus. Put another way, we have a spirit-led calling to rethink our focus. When you look at how we use our resources, such as money, the picture doesn't look that much better. To be specific, Christians around the world are giving about 2% of their income to Christian causes. And less than 7% of that is going to cross-cultural workers. And of that cross-cultural giving, only one one one-hundredth of that 0.1% is actually going to those working with the 3 billion people who don't know Jesus, have no church, or any Christian neighbors. The other 99% of all cross-cultural giving goes to the rest of the world that already has Christians, Bibles, and churches. Are you seeing the imbalance? Only 3% of our workers with only 1% of our cross-cultural finances are going to the 3 billion people who have never heard about Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves, are we okay with this? We want those 3 billion people to hear about the kingdom of God and how much God loves them. There are 17,000 ethnolinguistic groups in the world. People who share language, culture, and common history. 7,000 of them are considered unreached people groups. These are entire cultures who have never heard the amazing story of how Jesus loves them and came to save them. God has called us to pay attention to this, to love and care for the same things that he does. He put this desire on our heart. To see the unreached, reached with the amazing story of the love of God. We want to see lasting local church planning movements begin among these people groups. That brings renewal and transformation among these cultures and societies. Why? Because God has moved our hearts to see the gospel transform whole societies among the unreached. We know this task is bigger than us. Many of the areas that are in need of the gospel are difficult and resistant places. It isn't something that can be accomplished overnight, but by the power of the Spirit, we endeavor to preach the gospel where Christ is not known, so that God can be worshipped by all peoples.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I don't show you that, or I hope I'm not trying to say anything today to guilt anyone. I mean, if the Holy Spirit convicts you that that is different, I'm not trying to guilt us and say you know that, that we need to do all this or that, but, but I am trying to help us understand like what, what globally what's going on and and where are people that that do not know that have really no chance of hearing because no one is there to tell them. And and certainly we need people all over the world preaching about Jesus. We need, we need Christians where there is already Christian witness. We need Christians in Camas and Washugal and Vancouver, right? Not every believer will go across the globe, but some will. Some, some must. Uh, He he just referenced this in that video there. This is this is Paul's ambition in Romans fifteen twenty and twenty one. He says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ, uh, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of Him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. The need. Is great for the gospel to be preached all over the world, which means that, that people must be sent, right? And there's there's not enough in these unreached places, right? Which means uh, less than two percent of the population is is uh, is Christian and and uh, has the opportunity to to talk about Jesus. Um, but it isn't like there aren't enough Christians in the world. Uh, To share with the unreached. Um, There are about 92,000 Christians globally for every one unreached people group, or or maybe that doesn't help you because 92,000 is such a big number, Uh, but this one shocked me when I heard this last week. There are 23 Bible-believing churches in the United States for every Starbucks. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) Like It seems like there's Starbucks everywhere. Man, we don't have a shortage of churches and Christians that can help uh, spread the news of Jesus. Andrew Murray, uh, 100 years ago, said this. As we seek to find out why, with such millions of Christians, the real army of God that is fighting the hosts of darkness is so small, the only answer is a lack of heart. Right? He's like, look at all the Christians there are. Why are there so few going? Why are there so few ready to, to share about Jesus? He says, the enthusiasm of the kingdom is missing, but this is the kicker. He says, and that is because there is so little enthusiasm for the king. I just think, man, isn't that so true? All right? It's probably, it's got to be the root, I think, of, of almost all of our problems I say I love Jesus. My guess is you say you love Jesus. And there's so many other things we love. Right? There's so many rivals for the throne in our lives. Or, or to use Andrew Murray's words, there's so many rivals that we're enthusiastic about. Our problem or our need isn't so much that we need more passion for missions. Our problem is Christ isn't all that great to us. I think Murray is spot on. Where I lack passion for God's kingdom, for sharing the gospel here or or across uh, the world, it's because I lack passion for the greatness of Jesus. It's really hard to have a heart for for an unreached people group that that you've never heard of or maybe you've read some things about but but if you don't have that connection it seems nearly impossible to have a heart and what we need a heart for is is for God to be glorified like we see all throughout scripture and, and I realize so often I, I just I lack I lack enthusiasm. I lack the passion to see God glorified. But fortunately, God doesn't lack passion for His glory. He will be glorified, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna read a bunch of different verses to you about God and His desire to be glorified. Um, and I just want you to take these in. If you need to close your eyes to hear better, that's great. The the verses will be on the screen if that's helpful. But but I just want us to I just want us to hear um, what God says about his glory throughout scripture. Ephesians chapter one, verses four and six, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved verse 12 so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. I will say to the north, give up. To the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Isaiah 49, 3. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Jeremiah thirteen eleven. For as the loincloth clings to the waist of man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory, but they would not listen. Romans 9:17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I, might show you my, uh, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth second Samuel 7:23 and who is like your people Israel the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people making himself a name doing for them great and awesome things by driving them out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt a nation and its gods Matthew 5:16 in the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven john 14:13 whatever you ask in my name this I will do that the father may be glorified in the son john 12:27 now is my soul troubled and what shall I say father save me from this hour but for this purpose I've come to this hour father glorify your name then a voice came from heaven i have glorified it and i will glorify it again First Peter 4.11, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. John 17.24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Habakkuk two fourteen, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And lastly, Revelation 21, 3. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its, uh, and its lamp is the Lamb. That's not even close to all the scripture that talks about God's glory. God cares deeply about his glory. If I said, I want to be glorified, you'd be right to call me arrogant, but not so with God. He's completely worthy of glory, All right? Just like it's, it's right to, to enjoy a beautiful sunset, to just stare at it and, and take it in. Just like it's right to, to go to the Grand Canyon or to uh, Glacier National Park or Yellowstone or Bryce Canyon or, or even the Gorge and, and just marvel at, at the beauty there to take in the grandeur, that these places are, are worthy of making trips to and having postcards printed and magnets and whatever else they sell to, to recognize how beautiful it is, it is totally right that God is on a mission to glorify himself in this world, that he's gathering worshipers of him because Christ is the greatest treasure in the world. He's worthy of us treasuring him in our hearts, in our minds, in our actions. He's worthy of us treasuring him in how we talk and how we work, He's treasuring him in, in friendships, in our school, in careers, family, so on and so forth. He's worthy of being treasured in every part of our lives, and he wants he wants that from all peoples. Right, that there will be this diverse group of people gathered from every tribe and tongue, treasuring the king. The end goal is that God is glorified, and we see that in, in 66, 18 through 21, right? that, that he's going to do this, that he's going to gather them, that, that, that these are his people, right? Therefore, they're, they're people that have been saved from sin, right? And, and stick with me here. You, you, you notice in 66, 18 through 20 that, that, that saving them, it doesn't say that that's the end goal. The, the end goal is that God is glorified, Right? Now, that happens when people get saved. Right? That works out really well for us, for all who are saved. It, it's God, and he has this, this hunger, and rightly so, to be glorified. And that happens by him saving sinners, by him gathering a people to himself. Right? But the stated goal here is, is that he gets the glory. He gets glory when the nations come to him. He gets glory when, when as Paul says in Ephesians 2.3, when we go from being a, a child of wrath, and, and then in 2.10, he says, to this new creation in Christ. So God has a deep conviction and passion. He, he's on mission to glorify himself. And if he cares so deeply about that, shouldn't we as his people? So here's a great way to start praying. I Start praying, God, will you increase my passion, my longing for your glory? Will you multiply this this hunger for you to be glorified? Will you grow my enthusiasm for the world to correctly see you, Jesus, so that you're glorified? So I want to give you, just to end... I want to give you six uh, six words. These are these are ways that every uh, that Christians can participate in what God is doing globally, and and we won't all per- participate in all six of these. But but here are the six. It's it's learn, pray, go, send, welcome. And mobilize, and I'll walk through briefly each one of those, because everyone in the body is is somehow gifted to participate in God's global mission. So the first one is to learn right? Start doing some some reading. I'd start in the Bible. I'd start just reading about God's glory. I'd start reading about the nation. Start reading. Look for how he sends his people. Uh, There are great books that you could start reading. I've got one here. Whoever wants to come and take this from me, this is Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. Uh, Another way to learn um, January 21st and 22nd is Mission Connection. It's uh, a mission conference that is free. You do have to register beforehand, but it it's free to people. It's I think it's the biggest um, mission conference on the West Coast, and, and it happens every year. We're so lucky that, that we're, we're nearby it. Um, another way to learn, if, if you're in a small group, one of our community groups, or, or, or there's some other small gathering, and, and you want uh, like some curriculum, there's a couple resources I could give you uh, for a small group to go through together. But, but this learning will help grow your hunger for God to be glorified among the nations. The, the next one is pray. And this is this is one of the most powerful ways that we can be a, a part of what God is doing globally. And, and my guess is for most Christians, it's probably one of the ways that, that we're weakest is praying for what God is doing, asking him on behalf of the nations to, to move. Um, we have missionaries out on the back wall here. Um, we've got our missions board and you can find out how to sign up for their updates and you'll get regular updates and that will help fuel your prayer. Cause maybe you're like, I just don't even know how to pray. Man, get their updates. It will help you uh, from time to time. We'll have prayer guides for, for different ways to pray for the world. Um, if you're interested too, I have a prayer app that I just got that's uh, it's focused on the Muslim world. And I'd love to share that with you. So let's pray. The next one is go. And obviously not everyone will go, uh, will get on a plane and, and, and fly across the globe. We we certainly need people that are back home supporting for sure, but there also must be some people that go to tell the nations. Maybe that'll be short term. Um, maybe it'll be several short term trips. Um, maybe for, for some of you that are getting ready for college or in college, maybe that'll be right after college. Uh, I, I'd ask you if you're if you're in college and you're you're ending you're ending you know in the next couple years man, start praying, like consider, would, would you be willing to go for a year or two years or, or maybe longer? Because this will be one of the most mobile times in your life. Retirees, going isn't just for uh, young people in college. It's, it's not just for 20s or 30s or 40s. Um, it, maybe God would open a door for you to go. Um, one of the things that we've been talking about as an elder team is, is we want to we wanna send people to go visit our missionaries more. We, we've done, we really haven't done that um, in a long, long time. And we want to do a better job of, of supporting them. The retirees, you, you got time. Maybe, maybe you could go for us. Or, or maybe it's a short-term trip or, or several short-term trips. Or maybe it's not so short-term. Maybe God's going to use the skills that you honed over years and years and years in your career. And maybe he wants to use that overseas. The next way is, is send, and it takes a massive support team to send. Uh, it, it takes prayer, like we've talked about. Obviously, it takes giving financially. It, it means that when you get that that um, that prayer letter, that you, that you actually read it and you pray. Um, it means messaging our, our missionaries. Um, maybe like like when when missionaries come home on furlough, maybe it means you're hosting them, you know, while they're here, uh, or loaning them your car, or maybe maybe you bless them when they come and you're like, hey. You, you, what you do is so hard. And I know you're coming here. You got to talk to all these churches. I, I rented a beach house for you for the weekend. I just want you to just go and unplug, but man, we want to support missionaries. So that's, that's a part of sending. The next is, is welcome. The nations are coming here. You don't have to leave in order to go. We have refugees coming to our area. Um, just recently, I think in the last couple of weeks in Vancouver, um, Afghan refugees ha- have come over. There's international students that are coming to our country to study, right? They're, they're coming here. Um, they're, they're receiving training. They're getting their bachelor's, their master's. Maybe they go on and get their PhD, and then they go back. They go back to their country, their nation, and, and they, some of them become leaders and people of great influence. What if they met Jesus while they were studying here? Well, we don't have to leave to go to the nations. We can welcome them. And then lastly, mobilize it's, it's equipping, it's encouraging, it's helping to stir in other Christians this, this active passion for God's glory among the nations and, and helping them see how maybe God has called them. So in these six ways, it really doesn't matter what your age is. You can be a, you can be a, a kid or, or all the way up to, you know, the, towards the end of your life. And, and yet, and no matter what skills you have, you can participate in God's global mission of gathering worshipers from the nations. Would you pray with me to close? God, will you grow our passion for your glory, Lord? We don't just want a a passion for missions, Lord. I think that kind of misses the mark. We first need a passion for your glory. And I think think then we'll see the need all over the world. And God, I, I do pray. I pray that um, there would be a day where where we are we're sending some of our own Lord, some of our own to go perhaps where no one's ever heard about you Jesus, or maybe we're sending some of our own to to go help translate scripture into someone's native tongue so they can they can read in their own heart language your word God we we want to be a people that are that are about you being glorified right here in our own neighborhoods and, and everywhere, everywhere across the globe, Lord. So God, would you grow us? Would you increase our longing for you to be glorified? Do that in our hearts, Lord. God, I pray that we would be a people that more and more, we just wouldn't be able to be, be quiet about about who you are, and that, you, that you saved us from our sin, that you saved us from death, that, that, that one day we'll be with you as your people and you will be our God and, and, and we'll be with you for eternity, Lord. God, would you grow us, Jesus. Lord, it's in your name that we pray, amen.